Life is going to give you challenges, struggles. It's going to force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to University of Adversity. We have a fantastic episode for you today. We have my friend, Cynthia Thurlow, joining us today. Cynthia is an author of the new book, Intermittent Fasting Transformation. She's a nurse practitioner, intermittent fasting expert. She has a TEDx talk of over 11 million views. And she's the host of the Everyday Wellness Podcast, where she's had guests such as the great and famous Wim Hof, Gabby Bernstein, Dave Asprey, Mark Sisson, Paul Saladino, Sean Baker, Benazadi. There's tons. Let's just say that. She's had all the best experts in, you know, everyday wellness, health and wellness. And she's just continuing to crush it in her industry, speaking at all these amazing events. And it's awesome. Cynthia and I have been friends for just over three years now. She was on the podcast in the first hundred episodes. And let's just say a lot has changed since then. <laughs> a lot in both of our lives and world. But what hasn't changed is her commitment to personal growth and learning. And I can say the same. And I think we all just need to commit to being a student of life. If we commit to doing that, you know, you continue to grow and elevate and help the people. Around. So today we talked about all kinds of different things. Talked about her story, talked about the power of um, story and being vulnerable. Talked about trauma. Talked about how trauma can affect people later on in life and what it can do to their, um, to their health. And, you know, how a lot of times when there's health issues, it's, that's just a symptom. There's actually something deeper that needs to be uncovered. I'm talking about the power of therapy and really just having a, a conversation that's going to create more self-awareness, right? And we also talked about people pleasing, talked about boundaries, something that I'm sure all of you can relate to that we can all become better at. And I think it's one of those skills that when you can master that, and you create a lot of extra time and a lot of extra freedom for yourself because it is essentially a self-love practice. When to say no, how to say no effectively. And we also, towards the end, we talk about, you know, practical advice like intermittent fasting. What is it? Why is it important? Why do you need it? Who should do it? All that stuff. Different nutrition, what's better for certain people. And yeah, we unpack all of that. And I'm sure you guys will get a lot of very valuable insight in this episode. And obviously, if you aren't subscribed to the podcast yet, what are you doing? I'm just kidding. If you aren't, go subscribe or follow on Spotify. Or also, we're available on YouTube. Let's grow that YouTube. It's people just, you know, you either watch podcasts or you listen to it. I'm both. I actually like watching it, but I like listening too. So it really depends. But you got to be learning, you got to be growing. So why not have something in your ears or watching something useful while you cook or clean or whatever? So make sure you subscribe. And at the end, 
Go subscribe to Everyday Wellness. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. Cynthia covers so many awesome topics with so many experts, and there's something for everybody. All right. Without further ado, my friend, Cynthia Thurlow, enjoy the conversation. Here we go, Cynthia. It's been three years to the date. Episode 66, July 3rd, 2019 was the last time. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. I've really been looking forward to this conversation and it's wild to me how much has changed in three years, right? (laughs) You know, it's crazy because that episode aired July 3rd, but we probably recorded it two months before that. So it's, it's been a while and yeah, the world has changed a lot. A lot has happened in our lives and what better time to connect than now, right? Absolutely. I I think if you have been asleep over the past two years, you might've missed what's gone on, but I, I am a fervent believer that the last two years has forced a lot of us to level up to really level up, show up, you know, step into the person you're meant to be, be more aligned with your energies and to just, I don't know, be true to who you are. Yeah. I think that's so important. I, I, I was humored because I went back and listened to that podcast out of curiosity. (laughs) And I I think I was really humored because I was like, who is that person? You know, (laughs) who is that person? She isn't that person anymore. You know, she's evolved into a whole other being. And that's all, that's, that's all we can hope for, right? That we yeah. continue to evolve and shift and change throughout our lifetimes in, in positive directions. Isn't that the truth? I, I find it so hard to go back and listen to old episodes. Are you able to, like when you go back on your podcast or do you find that challenging or is that just, is that just me? No, no, I, I find it challenging for a number of reasons. But at first, the thing that really struck me was how many times I said unintentionally, I would like to believe I'm a very articulate person, but it's that filling when we're having conversation that you're not even cognizant of. But for me, being a podcaster myself, when I used to co-host a podcast, I realized I wasn't fully present because I wasn't the only person interviewing. And so when I go back and listen to the really beginning, beginning Everyday Wellness podcasts, as much as I enjoyed them, I really wasn't fully present. And it wasn't until I was the only person interviewing guests that I stepped into the awareness of true connection and truly listening and really letting my guests articulate whatever area of focus we had agreed on or had kind of evolved or, or stepped into. And so I, I cringe when I listen to those old podcasts, but I also think they're really invaluable because it demonstrates to me how far I've come, how much better of an interviewer I am, how much better of an interviewee I can be. And it's very validating. But no, as a rule, I don't I don't like to go back and listen to those podcasts. Sometimes I cringe. I'm like, oh my God, how many times did I say the word? Like, where did that come from? What was I thinking? <laughs> yeah, it's so true. And we can learn a lot from the podcast itself. You know, like I agree, just becoming a better listener just in general. And it, you know, you take that into conversations in real life too, mm-hmm. just to be present and listen. Cause it's like, and, and without having like, I'm going to, I have to ask this or I have to do that and have these like expectations and like allowing 
there to be this almost this presence and to think about what the person says and then to kind of like build on that versus like i need to say this i have to say it like that you know and it's 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 such a dance it really is and i don't i i don't want to say that you can't teach someone how to be a good interviewer but i do believe a lot of it is organic and intuitive and it, it as you mentioned a dance and so I, I have now been interviewed so many times this year because of the book launch that almost instantaneously, I can tell who the really good interviewers were because it was such an easy conversation. And more often than not, it wasn't focused on one key area. It was focused on many things because whatever it is that we're focused on in our businesses or in our personal lives, we're so much more than that. And so for me, I always welcomed the opportunity when someone wanted to ask me a deeper question, something that wasn't so surface or something that wasn't so aligned with what people's perception is of, is of me as a brand or in my business or what have you. And, and so what I value the most as a guest of a podcast and as a podcaster is the ability to connect with people and to be able to share what it is about them that is so beautiful. And I don't say that to sound trite, but I do believe all the people that I connect with, there's something really valuable about them that I know will appeal on some level with my listeners and make my listeners' lives better. I mean, that's the amazing thing about podcasting is it's the ultimate form of networking. And I don't mean networking in like the schmarmy, you know, greasy pans, you know, just that kind of used car salesman-ish kind of networking, but real, true, authentic connections with real, true, authentic ability to, you know, share the gifts that each one of us possess. And I, I think that's what is so exciting about podcasting. And the thing that I know for me keeps me coming back to it and, and encouraging people, like I try to get my parents to listen to podcasts. They <laughs> just don't get it. I'm like, it's like the ultimate way to learn. And you can learn like doing anything. You can be in your car. You could be gardening. You could be doing laundry. You could be learning through other people. And I think that's why it's such an exciting time because it's the old school way of learning is, is it's still there, you know, brick and mortar, being in a classroom, physical classroom. But now we have the ability to educate people about different things on different levels, like to be in someone's ears and be in someone's head. I think that's really powerful. Yeah, I agree. And it's, it's a beautiful thing because, you know, traditionally we love stories and people just love to connect to the human, right? Like the human behind the business is what people care about. It's like, you can sell all the things and do all the things, but it's like, what I want to know about the human. And that's why I find this so fascinating is because when you connect with somebody and you, and, and you hear about them and their story and what they're doing or, you know, what they stand for and their values, it's like, oh yeah, I want to know more about that person. Right. And it's like, you're indirectly selling without even meaning to sell. That's why it's such a beautiful thing. And the more you can be open and the more you can talk about things and, you know, be able to have that deep connection like you do, then the more people want to learn more about you. You know, it's, it's, it's really a beautiful thing. And, you know, I don't think a lot of people understand that. And I'm glad you brought it up because I've been trying to explain that to some people and they just, they don't get it, but some people do. Mm -hmm. you know? Well, and it's, it's ironic because I, 
very, I was very delayed in getting my slides together for an event I'm speaking at this week in Austin. And my husband, who has now seen me speak at some of these events, has been giving me some coaching, sometimes unsolicitedly, but he's generally right. And sometimes I'm like not ready to hear his feedback, which is always, you know, constructive. And so this time I was, I was like, okay, this is the biggest audience I've ever spoken in front of in real life. And now it's the time to pull the big guns out. So, you know, there's a very methodical flow of showing people, this is why I'm the person that's here to speak about this. And here's why metabolic health is wealth, because I would have had a very different outcome and do it in a very kind of loving way, not to be scary, but like, here I am before, here I am after this long hospitalization and you know, being in the hospital bed saying, I, I, I have to do this talk to show my kids I'm okay. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side of this d- discussion. And so I think the whole concept of storytelling for each one of us, we all have a different background. We all have a different pain to purpose. I always say through adversity comes opportunity. And so each one of us have one of those stories, or maybe we have multiple stories. Heck, I have several, yeah. <laughs> but the one that I'm going to talk about on Friday is really highlighting that, that the only way you grow is if you have some tough times in your life. And I, I think that's how we make connections because I think all of us, people can look at our lives and, and make judgments, whether they're right or wrong and say, oh, well, that person looks like they've had it easy or that person looks like, you know, they haven't really had to work hard, that things were given to them. And I always say the most interesting people are the ones that have had the most challenges. Mm. and. I think a lot of us forget that. And so even I have been guilty of not sharing enough about things I grew up with and challenges that I had throughout my lifetime because it made me into who I am. And that's a beautiful thing. And I I think for people that could be listening or watching, knowing that you, Lance, have gone through tough times, knowing that I've gone through tough times, someone's listening and saying, oh my gosh, they've gone through a lot. And look at like how they're doing now and they're able to connect with people and provide inspiration and to be able to say like, I've been there and I know how hard it is, but this is how I got through that time. And I think that on a lot of levels, I'm so truly grateful for the ability to tell my story, whatever that story is in the context of this conversation and the conversation I'll have at KetoCon in Austin, it's really to talk about why my health is the reason I'm still here. And so really thinking about how each one of us has beautiful stories. I've I've been listening to an amazing autobiography. This has been my year of autobiographies. I don't know why, like I generally don't read that genre or listen to that genre, but I decided this year I needed to get out of my head and just do make a greater effort to really listen to the great storytellers. And I almost feel embarrassed to say this, but Matthew McConaughey, his book, Greenlight, is fantastic. Is. And he's a master storyteller. Like, I mean, I've, I've listened to a lot of autobiographies this year, and his book is by far one of my favorites I've ever listened to. And I was like, what is it about Matthew that makes you want to continue listening to him? Mm. And so I've been savoring that. I've got like an hour and a half left in this book, but the storytelling must be part of my journey for this year. Like, that is my lesson to be able to cultivate an enticing, interesting story so that people can learn from it and feel inspired by it. Because isn't that really what it's all about? 
Yeah, and he really goes there and explains. He goes deep, and you didn't really like. You don't really hear about that much, unless I I didn't until I started to listen to the book. I haven't finished it, but he does talk about some things that you're like, whoa, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I guess he's essentially giving people permission to do the same, right? Yeah. Because the deeper somebody goes, the more it's like, huh, they can do it. Why can't I? It's like, why do we hold back on that? Like, I'm curious for you. Why did you feel that you couldn't maybe back earlier tell mm-hmm. more of those deep stories? Is it because is it because we have these images that we have to hold as like having it all together and we don't want to show that side? Or like, what is the reason for that? Well, I, I think for me, I had divorced parents. I have an alcoholic father. And if I was perfect, no one bothered me. My parents didn't yell at me. And my parents have, even to this day, my parents have been divorced a long time. They cannot be in the same room together. So growing up, you know, both my parents got remarried and there was, they were still like a lot of disagreements and arguing and yelling and screaming. And so part of my childhood was a lot of trauma because there was alcoholism, there was physical and emotional abuse. And for me, the way I survived was by being perfect. So if I looked perfect and I got good grades, no one bothered me. And I was very happy flying under the radar and I became a people pleaser. And so it was very hard for me, even as I transitioned to a young adult, even though by then I knew I needed a really good therapist. And I, I've been doing therapy throughout my lifetime. I highly recommend it. It's really hard work, but it's necessary work. And I was still so fixated on appearing to be perfect because if I was perfect, no one bothered me. And I think the people that are hardest on themselves are the ones who, who almost feel like they can't be fully transparent about their imperfectness. Like now I'll be happy to tell people, (laughs) my kids, my husband would talk about all the things I am, I am perfectly imperfect about. But in my early twenties, I, it was very hard for me to talk about the, you know, if I made a mistake, if I screwed something up and gosh knows your twenties is full of screwing things up. I mean, that is just part of the growing process. And well, probably in thirties too. <laughs> yeah. Probably into my thirties and tech, I'm still learning. I am still learning, but I, I think I got less self-conscious. I was less concerned about being right and more concerned about learning. I think that becoming a parent for me personally forced me to deal with my stuff. Because if I couldn't get it right for my kids, then what had I learned? What did I endure that I wasn't willing to work through? So I do believe in the concept of intergenerational trauma. And I do think that there is epigenetic, genetic changes that occur in each one of us in relationship to things that have happened generations before. And this is not woo-woo, this is actual science. And so for me, part of my healing was having to heal the things that my family members went through. And so the degree of compassion that I feel as a 50 year old woman for my parents who did the best they could considering they had grown up with trauma and abuse themselves. In short, it's like, it's a very different shift. It's allowed me to then speak more openly about what I grew up in and to acknowledge that yes, I grew up in alcoholism, not my own, trauma, abuse, some emotional neglect. My parents did the best they could, but I rectified all of that for my kids. And I think on a lot of levels, 
that sharing all those ugly things that I think of as being ugly. And I'm very careful about here how I share things because I want to be respectful that my parents don't want to talk about that stuff. They are not, they are probably never going to be capable of talking about the things they grew up with or their feelings. But I do. I always say I'm the truth teller in my family. And that in some ways creates problems, not for me, but for other people around me who don't want that mirror. They don't want to know. They don't want to see that truth. And that's okay. So I always say that, you know, I started off as a people pleaser and being perfect. And now as I get older, I recognize that that doesn't serve me in any way, because part of maturing into the woman I am today was acknowledging that that was holding me back. And so when I share the things about my childhood and when I share and disclose, you know, the abuse I grew up in, and when I share how that clouded my relationships with men and how you know, meeting my husband was the first time in my life I felt safe. And so on a lot of levels, these things come along on a trajectory in our lives. We may or may not fully understand why, but I do know why I had to be 30 to meet my husband. It's like I had to do a, a lot of work before I met him. I continue doing lots of work. But I think when people hear me talk about how I didn't grow up perfect, although I wanted people to think I was perfect, but I I think it's very, very helpful for people to know that you can grow up with less than ideal circumstances. You can have compassion for the people that try their best with you, but that you then write the course. And so I always tell my children way before they were capable of understanding what circumstances I grew up in. I always make sure they understand, like, you were growing up very differently than I did. And I don't say that to make them feel bad or guilty. It's just, I want you to know that you are safe. You are loved. We will always put your best interests at heart. And how important it is as your parent to know that I am setting you up for a totally different path than I went through. And that's okay. Like, I never begrudge, like, I don't look back at my teens, 20s, childhood, 20s, 30s, and say, poor me. I just say, you know what? I didn't get the family I needed, but I got the family that taught me exactly what I needed to understand to be able to change everything. So that whole concept of intergenerational trauma, being able to flip that around so that my kids and my grandkids won't have to go through that. And I'm, and I'm very fortunate, to be honest, because my husband's an engineer, God bless him, very much has that engineer mindset. Sometimes he doesn't fully understand things, but he listens thoughtfully and has been really receptive to, you know, whatever craziness I want to, you know, whether it's Reiki work or energy work or ther- any of the things I've needed to do to ma- make me a healthier, happier, more honest and direct person. But it has definitely been a journey. And I, I would be the first person to say there's probably people listening who felt pressure their entire lives to be perfect. And it's okay to be perfectly imperfect, but trying to kind of perpetuate a facade, a bit, you know, buttress that against aging because we're all going to age. I mean, it's going to be one extreme, either you're going to die or you're going to age. You know, being an aging woman and just trying to accept, like, I can't be perfect. Like at some point, (laughs) at some point that has to, I have to let go of that. Because it's not healthy. I mean, how many people that you probably know in all the years you've been meeting and connecting with people who are like struggling with their definition of the aging process. And so I I use that as but one example, 
which is not to suggest I'm going to, you know, stop exercising or taking care of myself. But at some point we are who we are. And I think it's really important to just, you know, accept and process and shed those, you know, whether you describe it as a disguise or those hats you've been wearing or, you know, just not being true and authentically honest with yourself. It's so freeing when you're fully honest with yourself, as hard as it is. Like I had this great therapist in my twenties and she used to always say that the only way to really be free was to have no secrets. And she said, not secrets like, you know, you ate your roommate's can of like tomatoes, but like, you know, those, those really shameful secrets that we don't want to talk about. We feel shame and embarrassment. And she say all the time, the truth sets you free. And it's true. As hard as it is, <laughs> it does. So sometimes having those uncomfortable conversations, sometimes really, you know, reflecting on, are you happy in your circumstances? You know, we both, both of us did a lot of moving during the pandemic. And I'm like, I'm so grateful because the pandemic for me was a, was a mirror that just showed us like, we don't like where we live. We don't really like most of the people we interact with. And what are we going to do about it? Are we going to sit here for another 10 years until our kids are done with school or are we going to move? And so we moved and we're much happier now. Oh, so much gold there, Cynthia. You know, I want to touch on kind of the trauma aspect around. Okay. So you work with women. You're helping them get healthier, lose weight, hormones, all of that. Now, how important and how often do you see there being an issue with weight gain and, you know, metabolic health with unprocessed trauma? Like how often do you have to say to somebody, look, like you're going to need to figure this out because there's a deeper rooted thing here. It's not just, it's not just the, the symptom. It's like, what's going on that's causing that. How often does that happen for you? Is this, is this common or speak to us about that a little bit? Every single day. And I didn't even, I didn't even understand. So this has been my year to be like in the trauma experience because I, I read Gabby Bernstein's book, Happy Days. And she was on your podcast too. Yes. Yes. Awesome. She's just, I mean, just one of the coolest experiences because she's exactly what you think she will be. So that book for me was part of my own healing. And then I listened to a physician on Peter Atia's podcast, Dr. Paul Conti, and he has an amazing book on trauma, Right. which the first time I listened to that podcast, I called my cousin and said, you need to read this book because I need to read this book. And so this has been the year of talking about trauma, not just my own, but talking to other people about trauma. And so if anyone's listening, like during my nurse and nurse practitioner training, like trauma to me was you got raped, you saw a murder. It was big T. Traumas are encompassing of so many things. It's the kid that teased you when you were in second grade, like just persistently and chronically to the point where you were insecure. It includes like, Maybe you got bullied. Maybe you had a boyfriend that was physically or emotionally abusive. I mean, it's like trauma encompasses like, they call it little T and big T. But we know if you have a certain amount of adverse childhood events, so it's these ACEs and and you can actually go online and you can take these quizzes to see if you are significantly at risk for trauma, that 
can actually rewire your brain so that you are in this uh, sympathetic dominant state where your body fight or flight. You know, we talk about the free prefrontal cortex, which is our thinking brain and the amygdala, which is our reptile brain. And so in the past two years, what's happened for a lot of people, this trauma response gets reactivated and overrides their prefrontal cortex so they no longer can think straight because that's what happens to us. You know, when we're being chased by a rabid animal, our brain is, you know, telling us to get away from danger. And it's that simplistic. So you're not going to pee, you're not going to eat, you're not going to stop to have sex. Your body is fleeing. And so what can happen for some of these people is that they can have an event, whether it's the pandemic, the election, SCOTUS, I mean, whatever has gone on, I mean, there's been a lot in the last two years, people will, they'll trigger these trauma responses and that impacts your hormones in profound ways and profoundly detrimental ways. And so when I talk to women, it's always in the back of my mind, what has happened to this person that could be contributing to why they are struggling, why they are, you know, finding that they're going to food for comfort or they have maladaptive mechanisms for dealing with stress. And by that, I mean, you know, I, I think a lot of our trauma responses send us down a path of being promiscuous, or it could just be you're, you're doing risky behaviors. You're, you know, using uh, drugs and alcohol, or you're, you know, you're a dopamine addict, and maybe you're doing dangerous things to, you know, kind of not address uncomfortable feelings. Cause that's really what it comes down to is when we don't want to deal with our stuff, we're going to find ways to numb ourselves to those feelings we don't want to experience. So, you know, Dr. Joan Rosenberg has written a really great book talking about dealing with uncomfortable feelings. So you can tell, like, I'm really doing the work when I say I've been doing all the reading and Audible and all these books that have just been so profoundly impactful. I think trauma is, is going to be the next big frontier that we are going to be talking about more openly. But I personally had no idea that I'd grown up in so much trauma until I started talking about it, until I started saying to my husband, this is what I dealt with when I was growing up. And my husband grew up in the, like the perfect nuclear family. His parents were married till his dad passed away, you know, total beaver cleaver, perfect, you know, kind of situation where the parents loved the kids and were, you know, did a decent job with communication and loved them, et cetera. And so when he hears some of these things, he's like, I don't know whether to laugh or cry for you. And so I, I think there are a lot of people probably wondering if their own trauma responses have just been dealt with. Like part of being perfect was not dealing with those uncomfortable feelings. And I was never much of a drinker growing up, but I had plenty of friends that were or would use a lot of illicit drugs. You know, I had a girlfriend you know, years ago when I used to wait tables who I adore and she would never get addicted to the things she tried, but she would she came home one night and told me she had tried, you know, crack. And I was like, what? Like, who does that? But she just had this kind of thrill-seeking personality. And so I, I think for each one of us, we probably had our maladaptive ways of dealing with uncomfortable feelings. And, and for most of us, we just keep pushing it down. We don't want to deal with it. It's too uncomfortable. It makes us, you know, whether it makes us feel nauseous or it makes us break out in cold sweats, we just don't like those feelings. We don't want to deal with it. And so I, I think that most, if not everyone who's listening, probably has some degree of trauma they've experienced. They just don't recognize it as such because much to my point, I thought trauma had to be something big. Otherwise it wasn't trauma. It was just crap that you dealt with growing up. And so now I call it what it is. And it, that has been very healing to be able to say, hey, you know, some of the things I grew up with were a little crazy. 
but you know, I'm working through it. I'm processing and now dealing with that in a healthier way than I was before. How about you? I mean, I'm sure when you have guests come on, you probably, people probably open up to you and share things. I'm, I'm, this is, you know, I'm fascinated by this topic because this is something that I have been exploring for the last couple of years that has completely changed my life. And I've realized that trauma is the root of everything. Like in my life, that's why I really resonated when, when Gabby Bernstein talked about that. And I really want to get her on the show because when I heard her talk about that, I was like, oh man, I know exactly what you mean. How the, the small T, the big T, because sometimes those little things that happen, like even if you get embarrassed in school, then you find this coping mechanism or this way to like take yourself out from feeling that ever again. And it's not a big thing, but you can develop this pattern. Then all of a sudden it turns into this thing that you do. And that could be the thing that actually created this addictive behavior. Or sometimes we go through these hard things, but it's not necessarily the thing that creates this trauma response. It's like, because I sat with myself and I'm like, I thought about the big events that happened. And I was like, I don't know if anything came out of that. But then I thought back to some of the other things, even through like psychedelics doing ayahuasca, like I saw things that I was like, oh, interesting. I didn't think of that. So it's not always what we think it is. It's not always the big thing, like the car accident or the, it could be something less than that. And we just sometimes think, oh, it's life. It's just part of it. But it's like, there's a reason why we, we nobody feels anymore. People are so, there's diversions, there's drinking, eating, sex, cell phones, you know, books. There, there's things that we are always stimulated with to take us away from feeling, right? And I've realized that. I'm like, you know what? Sometimes you just got to sit and feel it and understand it and get to know it because the, the answers come in the stillness a lot of times too. And a lot of people cannot sit in the stillness long enough to feel the things that are actually coming up. And it's just so interesting because like I've, this is what like really been my mission for myself the last two, three years is to figure out that what that is, because essentially trauma is like, it's like a, a dimming of your light. It's like a, it's like a, a, a foggy lens. It's, it's like fogging up your lens of like your real truth and your real shining light, you know? And once you can clear that out, you can connect more to that real, that intuition, you know, to, to that, that pureness that we all have. And it's just a matter of, of really understanding, like, what is that for you? Like, what is that untangling of that, like water hose that's like with the kinks in it, you know? And, and I just, I just find it so fascinating. I'm so glad that you're exploring this too, because, you know, at the end of the day, we all have it. And even myself, I still struggle in the evenings with late night eating. I'm like, it sounds stupid, but I'm like, what is this? Like, I can't sit here by myself and not eat. Like, why do I need to eat? I'm, I can fast all day. Then at night, I'm like, well, I want to eat some fruit. I, I've had a hard day. It's like, what is that? Right. right? Like, it's. Well, I think, I think half the battle is just acknowledging that we're all on a journey. Yeah. Like I, someone said to me, gosh, I thought being like middle-aged would be so much easier. And I said, I don't know, but. For me, I don't waste my time with stuff that doesn't matter anymore. Like, I, I think I was so 
concerned in my teens, 20s and 30s and what other people thought of me. And obviously I care what the people I'm closest to think of me. And, and I want my, you know, my team and my family to feel like I'm a good person. But the desire to please lots of people, I don't know. I don't have that anymore because I, I just ultimately realized like there are some people who are going to like my message and other people won't. And that's totally okay. But you know, my work is my work, meaning the work that I'm doing to improve myself, to be able to offer more to my community and connect with people is the work I want to be doing. You know, a, a lot of, of this year has also been about identifying areas I want to focus on in my business and areas I don't. And that's been hard because I've been known for doing one thing for a long time and now I'm no longer doing that. And so it's kind of shifted perspective energies into other areas, but it's the areas I find more interesting. And I think for a lot of people listening, they probably, maybe you, your identity has been wrapped up in your job or maybe your identity has been wrapped up in whatever title you love and, and, and cherish. You know, I'm at a point where I have two teenagers and obviously I adore them and they're growing into amazing young men, but in two years and four years, they are going to be in college and our relationship is going to change profoundly. Yeah. And I don't mean that as a negative thing. I, you know, our goal as parents is to raise independent adults. I mean, that's the goal, right? And so a lot of women that, and this is not a judgment, but women that I knew socially that, you know, left the workforce and were stay-at-home moms. And I always encourage them, like, find something you love, whether it's a hobby, go back to school, do something because they are going to grow up so quickly. And if you are only identifying yourself as one thing, you're going to be lost. And, and I say this with love and compassion. I just was always one of those people, like, even I, when I worked very, very part-time as an NP when they were younger, I still had outside interest because I recognized for me that at some point that relationship was going to shift and change again. And so I, I think it's important for all of us to kind of identify like, what are you interested in? And it could be something really simple. Like you talk about how we're like a dopamine focused community. And so explain to people like just the stillness, like how many times I just take a walk outside in nature in the morning, you know, sunglasses, I don't have my earbuds in. I'm not listening to a podcast. I'm not listening to a book, even though I love Matthew McConaughey's book. I'll just keep saying that because it makes me laugh. But it's like paying attention to the sunlight, paying attention to the uh, birds, paying attention to the what color the leaves are on the trees, paying attention to what my goofy things my dogs are doing. And I feel like the, the pandemic for me forced me to be more aware Mm -hmm. because for so many years, things have been coming on so quickly that it was just like one foot in front of the other. What's the next thing? What's the next thing? What's the next thing? Now, I tend to think a lot more thoughtfully about the things that gear me down. Like, whereas for years and years and years, it was like, all right, the gym, the this, the that, a vacation. And I mean, those are all great things. But now it's more, what are the things that calm me down? And it's pretty simple stuff. Like, did you take a nap? <laughs> you know, did you enjoy like a wonderful lunch? Did you connect with one of your kids? I, I think we make our lives like far more complicated. Personally, I, I just think that we don't need to make them as complicated as they are, but we've been conditioned to believe that we need to do so. And it's that constant need to, whether it's you have to buy, you want a bigger house, you want a bigger car, you want that 
like super over the top vacation, you want that title, you want that clay, whatever it is, you're never going to be satisfied. And so that's one of the things that I've learned over the last couple of years was just being in an environment where people were very focused on what you could do for them, how you could benefit them, you know, racing up that ladder of success. And I just say, quote unquote, ladder of success to me, just it's like, I want the, I want the antithesis of that. It's not to suggest I don't want to be successful, but gosh, if you're focused on materialistic things, you are never going to be happy. I mean, I think that's the big takeaway that I took from being in my other city was just how many people were really unhappy and their behavior was really just a byproduct of whether it was trauma as a child, feeling unlovable, feeling like they wanted validation, et cetera. Like those things allowed them to not focus on actually dealing with the uncomfortable feelings. It would just buy them time. It's literally like you just bought yourself and okay, you get another week. Then you have to deal with the uncomfortable. Feelings. Okay. Now you're going to yourself 10 more days. Then you got to deal with the uncomfortable feelings. And then it just, yeah. it, before you know it, it's, you know, it's this massive boulder that's going down a hill and you have to have some type of catastrophic disaster to show, to shine light on what you should be dealing with. And for a lot of people, they never get to that point. How sad is that? Yeah. Yeah. Just buy more stuff to fill the void that isn't actually like going to be filled from that. I mean, it's the same in relationships. You see it all the time. People just thinking that the next thing is going to be the thing. Really, you got to get to the root. Yep. And it's so important. You know, there's, so on something that you mentioned that I was just, it's in my head and I really want to ask you about it because I think it's really important, especially, you know, as you grow and become more successful, you know, you've connected with a lot of people. You've been on amazing shows. You've been speaking all over the place. You're growing and it's so awesome to see, truly. Like, I, I love it. Like, I get excited when I see all these amazing people that you're connecting with. And my question is for you is that you talk about how you used to be a people pleaser. Mm-hmm. And I can really resonate with that. It's kind of a Canadian thing, which I've really understood. <laughs> it's, it's annoying. It's annoying in, for, in, a, in a lot of ways. And I've understood more what that means now. And for, I guess for you, it's like, how have you, first of all, when you're being asked to do lots of things and expected to do lots of things, how do you set boundaries for yourself that feel good? And how do you stop the people pleasing? Like, what can people do when you, you, you start to feel like you, you owe people things or, you know, as, as you start to get more steam, there's going to be more things asked for you and you have to guard that with your life. Like, how do you deal with that? It's a great question. Here's my, my gestalt on this. So in my professional life, it's either a hell yes or a hell no. There's no gray area in my business. And so when opportunities present themselves, I'm either like, hell yes, I want to do that. Or I'm like, no, mm-mm, I don't want to do that. And so my team knows this about me by this point, like there is no gray area in my world. So as an example, a, a few months ago, there was a, a young woman that I've been friends with. I was on her podcast. She was on my podcast. We've become very good friends. And she has two podcasts, one that was co-hosted. And she reached out to me around the time that the book was published and said, it's totally okay if this is not of interest to you, but you were my first absolute choice to bring on as the, as the new co-host. But again, you know, we've been friends a long time. No, and I just said, hell yes. 
It was that quick. For me, I get a visceral feeling if it's not in alignment with with who I am or what I want to do. I have an example right now. Someone has asked me multiple times to be part of a event they have this summer, end of the summer to the beginning of the fall. And I haven't decided. And I haven't decided because I'm not entirely sure it's aligned with my business and people I want to be around. And so I haven't given them an answer, which doesn't help them with their planning purposes. But I was saying to my husband, I, I need a little bit more information. So I think it's important to be very clear, crystal clear about what's in, what's of value to you. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, I will, I will speak at events sometimes where I don't get paid much, if at anything at all, if it gives me an opportunity to connect with people who are very aligned with my audience, people that potentially could become podcast listeners, buy books, maybe there's some type of an arrangement I can make, maybe there will be businesses that might, you know, come to me. So I think you have to be very, very clear about what your values are. You know, I'll be the first person to say, because I grew up with an alcoholic parent, that definitely has influenced my lens with which I see the world. I've never been much of a drinker. I don't judge people who drink. Let me be very clear about that. In fact, I view people that have a problem with drugs and alcohol compassionately because I have a parent who has been an addict their entire life, adult life. And so if someone were to invite me to an event where there was a lot of recreational drug use or there was a lot of alcohol, I would be like, that's cool. As long as I can do my, if I can stay in my lane, I'm totally cool. I can do my thing. But if there's going to be words of pressure to have to behave or do things that I'm not comfortable with, then I have to speak up for myself. And so I, I think on a lot of levels, part of my process and being a reformed people pleaser is just being very clear about what's important to me. I, I think that's a number one. Number two just that visceral response that you get, it's either the hell yes or the hell no. If I'm confused, I'm like, okay, I need more information. I can work with that. But I think it's also being very clear about not over, not over committing yourself. I made a mistake. So my book was published in the middle of March. I had no idea, having never written a book before, what a book launch was like. A book launch is like the wildest ride you've ever taken. And it's nonstop. It's exhaustingly, amazingly wonderful, but it is absolutely overwhelming. And so I thought it would be a good idea to have my book launched and then commit myself to three talks in the month of April. It was not a good decision. I was so stressed out trying to prep for these talks and get on a plane and travel. You know, I went to Salt Lake for one. I met an amazing group of people, loved a lot. I, a lot of the speakers, it was the first time meeting some of them in, in real life, amazing humans, got back on a plane came back, had an event in Baltimore. Then I had one in Miami. And I said to myself, I was not very smart about this because I didn't realize how tired I was going to be from the book lodge. Because in between all this prep, I was also still doing press and PR. And I mean, you're beholden to your to your PR group with your book publisher, your lit agent, your PR group. You've, I mean, it was just, it was like drinking from a fire, like a, a fire hydrant. Like it's just overwhelming. So. If I were to do things again, I would have said no in some instances that I would have liked to have said yes, but just couldn't be everything to everyone. And so protecting your energies means not overextending yourself. I didn't know any better. Everything turned out fine. It was great to have done those events, but I have a tendency, and this is part of my personality that I constantly have to work on, is that when someone reaches out to me and was like, I really need you to be part of this event, It's not an ego thing for me because I genuinely want to help. I want to serve, 
but I have to learn to guard my energy. And so as an example, this one event that I'm kind of alluding to, which I'm not going to call out because I haven't made a decision yet, I feel like it's too close to an event in September. It's too close to an event in October. And so I, it's kind of like putting the, the brakes a little bit on overcommitting myself. So I think those are the areas that I kind of work on. But I think that visceral response, we all get it. We may suppress it. But when you get that visceral response, of, no, I don't really want to do that. We have to listen to that. We have to honor it. And that's totally okay. Like there might be something that five years ago might have been aligned with you. And now you're like, mm, no, I'm also an introvert. So for me, when I do those events, it's actually really, really draining. I love being around people. And like, you would never know if you met me that I'm an introvert. However, what happens to me is that if I have day after day after day of like speaking, and then I have parties in the evening and it's like day after day, and I will be... By the time I come home, I will probably not want to talk for a week. My, my whole family knows this. Sometimes when I get back from business trips, I just need to like hibernate. <laughs> like I just need to not talk for a couple hours and I'll be in a much better position. So I think for each one of us, we have to find ways to be really clear about what we want and to be really clear about what we don't want. And I think when you can differentiate between those two things, it's very helpful with making decisions. But that has been, that has taken time to be able to determine. And I, I think the other thing about boundaries, being a reformed people pleaser, I almost felt like I had to provide an explanation. You can just say no, no, period. No, there's no, and it's no, I, that will not work for me. No, thank you. And just leave it at that. And I, I think especially women, we feel like we have to explain ourselves. And so now I'm pretty I'm pretty honest. I think one of the things I find humorous, and this might happen to you as well, Lance, is that, you know, people will pitch themselves for the podcast. I'm sure this happens to you as well. And it's like someone that's not aligned. And I, as my team knows, it's a hell yes or it's a hell no. There's nothing in between. And I, I'm almost vicious about it. And so this one person was upset that I did not want to reciprocate after I'd been on their podcast. And I just very politely had to say, I don't have any interest talking about your area of expertise. And I said, it's not that it's not interesting. It's just not something I think is going to be well-received by my audience. And I know my audience. Yeah. I know them really well. Like I follow the metrics on my podcast really closely. And so I, I think the people pleasing, the lack of boundaries, it's like you have to get a hold of it. I always say like, if you haven't gotten a hold of that behavior by the time you're 35 or 40, Dang, it gets hard. I can tell you, I'm, I'm definitely at a point now where I think people understand there's a very different, like there's a different sheriff in town. Like, whereas I might've put up with some behavior 10 years ago, now I'm like, nope, that doesn't work for me. <laughs> that's a Not at all. That's a form of self-love too. It really is. And this is what's interesting to me is around this people pleasing because I feel like it stems from trauma too. I feel like yeah, this it absolutely like, does. lack of boundaries, like, yeah, no problem. Like, come on, I don't want to hurt your feelings yet. You're screwing yourself over in the end. And this podcast reciprocal thing is so true. It's like people expect just because you went on theirs or like you're, you owe them that it's not how it works. And that's, it's, it's happened like that so many times where I'm like, yeah, okay. Like it hasn't happened a ton. Like I, I usually really, you know, it usually works, but I know what you're saying. It's like, is that your, is that the goal is like, get me on yours so you can come on mine kind of thing. Like it shouldn't be like that. No, it's like I a think weird thing. It's, it's a very weird vibe. And to be honest with you, there were some people I brought on my podcast early on who obviously had big platforms and 
I always said to my husband, I don't, I'm never going to ask them to come on their podcast. I'm going to wait for them to ask me. And that has always been my mentality because it should not be that energetic exchange. It should not be that expectation. And the irony is the same person who was PO'd that I didn't ask this person to be on my podcast, then hit me up with the trifecta of like the most high profile people that have been on my podcast. Can you do an intro? And I was like, no, I'm not. I was like, that person's PR person reached out to me. So I don't know them personally. And I was like, number two, that other person hasn't even been a guest on my podcast yet. And I'm not comfortable doing that. And it was like such an, like it was just, it validated for me more. Like this is just an awkward energetic exchange. And so as much as I appreciated being a guest on this individual's podcast, and I'm not even going to tell you gender because I don't want anyone to be able to figure it out. But, but it's such an awkward, like, it's just, it's awkward. Like, I'm like, I want to get on on my own merit. And I agree with you too, that generally when people invite themselves on, it's, it's like, okay, well, if I can find like common commonality or you're easy to talk to, but if you're using me as a stepping stone, that's not cool. You know, it's, it's a weird, it's weird, strange vibe out there. And I mean, that's just part of the game of life, I guess, is really getting good at, at, at having that boundary, like good for you. I mean, you're going to have to get used to doing that more and more and more. And, you know, I mean, that's just, it's not going away. So I, you know, I, it's interesting to me because this is an area that I really need to get better at. And I realize it because I know, you know, as I grow and continue on, there's more of that happening. And I think a lot of the listeners out there can probably resonate with that to some degree of this, like people pleasing aspect that we all feel and it's tough, but as long as you're aware of it, you can start to really pay attention to the, the times that you feel you need to do something to satisfy someone else's demands and not your own. And I guess uh, until you're aware of it, you're not going to even know. No. And here's the really cool thing is there are people I will just meet totally organically on social media. And I'm like, you are such a cool person. I have to interview you for the podcast. And so there are a couple couple people that I've just met randomly who I really like. They put in great content. I know it's very, very, very consistent with what my people want to hear about, but like, it's not a recognizable name. And I'm like, that doesn't bother. That's never what it's about. It is not an ego grabbing entity. And, and so I think sometimes when people are disingenuous about their true intentions, about how they want to go about interviewing or the type of guests they want to attract, I think you attract your vibe. And so I, I think on a lot of levels, like, if you're not doing with good intention, if you're not doing with pure intention, that shows. Mm -hmm. It shows in your conversations. It shows in, you know, what you manifest. That that word drives my kids crazy, by the way. Like I, I have boys. And so they're like, mom's going to manifest something. <laughs> so they're always like teasing me. And I'm like, guys, it's a real thing. I say it all not the time. Woo woo. And so they were <laughs> laughing. We were away on vacation. They're like, mom's going to manifest her next vacation. And I was just like, what is wrong with you both? Like, this is a real entity. This really does happen. But I do believe yeah. that if you have good and pure intent, you attract the same type of guests. Like, I really do believe that fervently. Mm, I agree. There's an area here before we look at kind of bringing things to an end here is I want to talk about your book. Obviously, okay, so I get asked all the time about different things. You know, sitting in the sauna, People hear all these different podcasts and, you know, I got excited because bringing you on, I haven't talked about 
a lot of like health and wellness stuff in a while. And I know we didn't really talk about a lot, but this was amazing the way it was. But I do want to touch on a couple things here. Just just as just to kind of break it down for people, because I get asked this stuff all the time, and it's just going to be nice to kind of lay out the simple stuff that we hear. So I know that you're an expert in intermittent fasting. So let's just go for the people that have heard that word everywhere and they're confused. There's all these different things. What is intermittent fasting? Who needs it? And why should somebody do it? Great. Couple, a series of great questions, Lance. So intermittent fasting is as simple as saying eating less often. It is not new or novel. It dates back to biblical times. It is the way that our bodies are actually designed to thrive. Unfortunately, in our modern day lifestyles, we are conditioned that we need to eat snacks and mini meals, and we can't go more than two to three hours without eating food because we're going to starve. And that, unfortunately, has not served us well as a country, a community. Most westernized countries are now dealing with rampant issues with metabolic disease and obesity. And so eating less often could look like you eat dinner at six o'clock at night and you don't eat again until nine o'clock in the morning. Boom, you've already fasted 15 hours. This is where people kind of get caught up in the amount of time they're not eating. And I remind them that we actually do better eating within a compressed feeding window, meaning maybe you have breakfast at 10, you have lunch at two, maybe you have dinner at six. That's an eight hour feeding window. And actually, if you look at the research and you look at how this improves biophysical markers, not just, you know, people like to focus on body composition changes and weight loss, but I always like to talk about your blood pressure, your lipids, your fasting blood sugar, you know, it lessens your likelihood of developing neurodegenerative disorders like Parkinson's and, you know, Alzheimer's. It reduces your likelihood of developing certain types of cancers. It upregulates a very fancy scientific term called autophagy where our body gets rid of disease and disordered cells in an unfed state. So from my perspective, you could fast 13, 14, 15, 16 hours a day. And if you're a guy, you don't have as many restrictions as women do. There's always the gender differences that, you know, are, are worth kind of identifying. But when I'm talking about fasting, it's really tapping into those benefits that we discussed. And if you are eating the standard American diet, unfortunately, hopefully you're not, if you're eating a standard American diet and you're eating six to 10 times a day, you're never giving your body an opportunity to use stored fat as a fuel source. And when our bodies tap in and use fat as a fuel source, it is efficient, it is clean. We diffuse certain types of ketones or these break down these fatty acids across the blood brain barrier, which allows for people to have a lot more energy and mental clarity. And so when I'm thinking about some of the key benefits, that's really what I choose to focus on. And so I fell into this just literally through my own kind of health journey. I've never been unhealthy, but when I was in my early 40s, I started noticing it was getting more challenging to maintain my body composition. And so I kind of stumbled on intermittent fasting. And now this is something that I talk about all the time and, and love to talk about it because it's something that most, if not all of us can do. Yeah. And I love the way you explain it. And because I specifically had someone ask me the other day in the sauna about women in fasting. And that's why I was like, I know it's different for women. So can you maybe explain as to, geez, they're drilling upstairs. I can't hear that. <laughs> no. Can you explain the difference though, between 
women fasting and men, like what, what should women be careful with and maybe how often versus men? Cause I've, I know that there's a lot of confusion around that with hormones and everything. Yeah, absolutely. So the caveat is, so if we take menopausal women, so women who have no longer getting a menstrual cycle, haven't menstruated in 12 months, and then we put them in one bucket. Then we have women 35 and under that are still in their peak fertile years. And even if you're choosing not to have kids, your body is very attuned to nutrient sensing. And then women that are 35 and older that have not yet gone through menopause. So let's talk about the, you know, young cycling women. I always say from the day you start your menstrual cycle till day 14, if we're looking at a traditional 28 day menstrual cycle, day of bleeding to day 14, you can get away with fasting, meaning you could, you can do harder workouts. This is an estrogen predominates in your menstrual cycle. You could do a longer fast. If you're going to do a 16 hour, 18 hour fast, you can get away with it. Now, if you are a very lean woman, you have no business doing long fast. You could do 12 hours of digestive rest. That is actually the bare minimum all of us should do is 12 hours of not eating. Then we move into women that are 35 to probably 50. So this is perimenopause, that 10 to 15 years prior to menopause. It's when we have a lot more fluctuations in our menstrual cycles. They may not be as regular. And this is a time when women, it becomes much more an area of focus to talk about what's your sleep quality like? What type of exercise are you doing? Yeah, you can't do what you did at 20. Like if you were doing CrossFit and really, really intense exercise every day of the month, you get into perimenopause and menopause, that doesn't work. So right types of exercise, anti-inflammatory nutrition, all of a sudden gluten and dairy and maybe even alcohol don't agree with you. So it's really looking at anti-inflammatory nutrition and then understanding that for the same thing, like with the younger women, First two weeks of your menstrual cycle, you could be a badass. Last two weeks of your menstrual cycle, preceding when you're going to start bleeding again, that's your luteal phase, you back off the gas. You're going to do different types of physical activity. You know, maybe you're doing 12 hours of digestive rest. I promise you that still benefits you. It's still giving your body 12 hours to work through what you've eaten. And so the big differentiators are those, like you have to fast for your menstrual cycle when you're a younger woman. In menopause, again, same thing, sleep, stress, anti-inflammatory nutrition, right types of exercise. And then women in menopause don't have the same issues with cycling of hormones day to day, week to week. And so they get a bit of a break. I always say menopausal women and men, much easier to fast. In fact, I generally say to most menopausal women, they actually benefit from eating less frequently. They generally don't eat as much food as they did before. They probably aren't as hungry. And some of that can be a byproduct of a variety of things that are changing within her body. But that's kind of a general rule of thumb. And obviously I go into deeper detail and all that in the book. But for me, it's the first book of its kind that really talks about why women can't need to fast differently. It doesn't make it bad. We are not many men. Like I tell everyone, I'm like, as much as medicine would like to believe that we are, we are unique in our physiology. And so we have to fast according to our physiology and not apologize for it. What, as far as diet goes, again, lots of diets out there. Lots has changed over the years, you know, like it's paleo, keto, carnivore, uh, animal based with fruit, you name it, it's out there now. And look, it can all be beneficial, but for you and what you've seen in your expertise, what do you find to be the optimal diet that you can thrive on? Yeah. So I'm always going to be a proponent of a nutrient dense whole foods diet. So what does that mean? Most 
people are not consuming enough protein. They're not eating the right types of fats and they eat too many carbohydrates. So I flip all that around and say, for a woman, no less than 100 grams of protein a day, period, at a minimum. So more protein. So animal-based protein, non-starchy carbohydrates are really a huge focus of what I do. Let's say, for example, you have a ribeye or a salmon. You've got plenty of healthy fats in that fish or in that meat. You don't need to then add five avocados and a stick of butter. That's where I see a lot of people getting keto wrong. Versus if you have like a chicken breast or a piece of cod, guess what? You can add some healthy fats to the salad that you're consuming, et cetera. When it comes to starchy carbohydrates, I think this is really where I, I recommend people eat whole food sources. So I'd rather you have squash or sweet potato as opposed to grains and gluten. And I'm sorry, pasta, bread and rice do not count. Like my 16-year-old and my 14-year-old competitive swimmer, football player and lacrosse player, they can weather a massive carbohydrate load. You cannot do that and you are north of 35. You just can't. You're unusual if you can. Let me just be clear before you get hate mail from me having said that. And the other piece is if you are not metabolically healthy, if you have, if you're obese, you're overweight, you're insulin resistant, you're diabetic, guess what? You need to ramp down your carbohydrates. And I, unfortunately, I think we as a society have gotten very fixated on carbohydrates. We spend far too much time eating carbohydrates. I'm not, I don't have a problem with people having a piece of fruit. I don't have a problem with people having sweet potato or squash, or if you tolerate ancient grains, great, but get it from whole food sources. I think the bigger issue is that it's not as much, you know, it's more about like, if you have a piece of fruit, like I love apricots in the summer and I might have one after I eat dinner. But they're small, right? I eat one and I'm done with it. But the fiber in the fruit is going to slow down the absorption as opposed to, God, I hate smooth, like smoothies, these fruit smoothies that have like 100 grams of sugar in them. Watermelon juice, like. Yes, yes. So I tell people like, you, have, you just have to be smart. Like when you, when you juice something like that, I'm not talking about a protein shake that has just like whey protein and coconut milk and something. I'm talking about like you go to Jamba Juice or whatever junky juice place is around and you have a juice that has 15 pieces of fruit and it's got 100 grams of sugar and that doesn't benefit anyone. So when you take the fiber out of fruit and you drink it, you are more likely to start having issues with, you know, this fructose rise. I actually did a great podcast with a fructose researcher, Dr. Rick Johnson, and oh. the recommend his book. He's amazing. My number two downloaded podcast for the year thus far, it's like he makes the information really accessible, but you don't want to drink fructose, like big takeaway, no fructose. So um, is it different? Like if you eat, is fructose different than like, does it react differently in your body than other sugars? Yeah. So, for, so if you have a piece of fruit, like let's say you have that apricot and you chew it, you swallow and hits your stomach, that's different than having orange juice. Yeah. That is different than high fructose corn syrup that you have in soda. Those go directly to the liver and they are absorbed differently. Those are the types of things that will create non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. We call it NOFLD, which is bad. And a lot of the fructose research that's being done is showing how toxic it is to our body. So let me be really clear. If you're metabolically healthy and you have a piece of fruit, that is not what I'm saying. But if you're drinking crappy soda, and you are, you know, you're drinking fruit juice, guess what? That is going to stimulate a different pathway in the body. And that is detrimental. And considering that only, you know, there was a 2018 study done out of the UNC Chapel Hill School of Public Health, 
that study, 88.2% of Americans in 2018 were not metabolically healthy. The past two years haven't done us any favors. So that number is probably in the 90s. And so most, if not all, people have work to do. Like I tell everyone, like I'm very transparent. Obviously, I'm a middle-aged woman. I tend to hover in the lower car. I'm not keto. I'm lower carb. I cycle my carbs. But I get my carbs from low glycemic fruit. I get my carbs from squash, sweet potato. My non-starchy carbs I get from other vegetables. But I think people have to have a really honest conversation. Like if if you're obese, insulin resistant, and overweight, you have to change your relationship with carbohydrates. You really do. And in, in order to ensure you don't develop diabetes, like you don't want diabetes, like all of us should be endeavoring to avoid developing diabetes. It's that important. Yeah, I was having this conversation with our, our mutual good friend, Ben Azadi at dinner. Mm-hmm. And I was talking about, I was asking him about this. It's around, you know, because I, I love Paul Saladino. I just... I feel like meat and fruit, like I love it, but I overdo it on fruit. And I feel like, yes, it's it's a non-inflammatory diet and you could probably lose weight from doing that. But then metabolically, like, could you, is that a dangerous road if you're eating too much fruit, right? Like you're kind of, it's it's like you you eat mangoes and bananas with meat. Yeah, you the inflammation may go down, but you're still consuming a lot of that fructose. What are your thoughts yeah. on that? Because I'm you know, I'm doing 75 hard right now, Andy Frisella's thing, where it's two workouts yep. a day. And a lot of people probably don't agree with it, but for me, it's been amazing. And I've been trying to figure out the balance because between like eating enough carbs, not, and like weight loss. And like, it's a real dance of figuring that out because too much fruit makes me foggy, but then mm-hmm. not enough carbs. I feel like I can't get the workouts in. Yeah. So I know that's a bit of a loaded question there, but no, no. Well, I think it really comes down to bioindividuality. Like you are an active young man and there shouldn't be an issue with you having, you know, dietary carbohydrate. The question is, would you be better served by having like blueberries? Mm. You know, you know, if you're working out hard, you probably need some discretionary carb. Like there, there are people like Paul Saladino, who is a smart guy. I've had him on the podcast. I was listening to another podcast the other day and they were talking about like his lipid levels were like off the charts, crazy high. I think maybe it was one of Peter Atia's podcasts. Anyway, the point of why I'm saying this is that I think when, when you have a specific need to be carnivore, like I went car- full carnivore after my 13 day hospitalization because my body couldn't process anything with fiber. It was really awful. And then it took about 18 months before I could start eating vegetables again. If you have a specific purpose of needing to reduce inflammation, I get carnivore. I tend to be carnivore-ish because I eat vegetables and I do eat some fruit. But I think a lot of it is highly dependent on, are you insulin sensitive? How do you sleep? You know, are you hitting your protein macros? Because I always say like protein is that threshold. Like 100, 150 grams of protein, depending on who you are. And then, you know, kind of tinkering with your fats and carbs to find what works best for you. I do better with a protein-centric diet that is lower in fat and I can adjust my carbs as I need to. That works for me as a lean female. Now, other people listening might do, like you might do really well with fatty meats. I don't. And so I, I think I would experiment to see how you respond. Like I always, I'm a huge fan of having glucometers or continuous glucose monitors. I have an aura ring that I wear all the time that kind of tracks my sleep metrics. 
So I think it's helpful to have like objective ways to evaluate whether it's a scale, because I'm not sure what your goal of doing 75 hard is, although I know it's a lot of work, what the goal is. So it's it's really doing a bit of experimentation, which is completely the antithesis of what we have been telling our patients for years, which was this kind of one size fits all methodology, which I don't per se is necessarily helpful. And, I, and, and you know, the people that eat nose to tail, God bless them. I am not a nose to tail person. I will never be a nose to tail person. I feel no chance. No, I, God, that is fascinating. Fascinating. My kids like follow him. Yes. He's a marketing, absolute marketing genius. Mm -hmm. Absolute marketing genius. But a lot of it's like shock and awe. Like even Paul Saladino can be a little, like Sean Baker is like a quieter cardboard guy. And so, you know, for me, it's like, I don't need to eat like, pig pancreas and spleen to prove I'm, I'm like what I do works for me. And I'm not going to be critical of the people that decide to eat organ meats. It's just not my thing. And, and so I think what I would suggest to you, which is what I would say to anyone is trial and error, right? Yeah. What works, what makes you sleep well, what gets you through your workouts. You probably would do well with carb cycling. I mean, I'm a proponent because I'm, I fast a good part of my day. I don't stay in ketosis all the time. I kick myself out. Like I, you know, I told you I had this apricot. I had one apricot every day for like four days. It's been, and it's not a very sweet apricot, but I've loved eating it because I went through a period of time where I was like very anti-fruit. And then I'm like, this is stupid. I'm missing out on polyphenols and antioxidants and things that I know my body probably needs. And so- And fun. Fruit's fun to eat. It is. It is. Especially apricots are kind of a weird, weird fruit. Totally weird fruit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. For me- my, my, always my struggle is eating too much before bed, but I literally, the other day I tried to go to sleep with not eating three or four hours before. And I had like the weirdest, funkiest dreams. And I was like, this is horrible. Like I actually, I, and then I, I, I felt like I needed to eat a little bit before, but even though I know I'm not supposed to. Maybe so have like some MCT oil before you go to bed. Yeah. Something like, like that. Yeah. Like just, even a tablespoon or two of MCT oil. And I feel like a lot of people have this before bed feeling. There's like this, this like, I know I shouldn't eat before bed, but I don't really care because I'm kind of hungry. And this has been, maybe that is why I haven't been able to shed more lean body, be leaner than that because of that eating mangoes at eight o'clock at night. You know, I mean, I don't know, even though I'm working out hard, I feel like I, I'm leaning out a lot, but I should, I feel like I should be leaner. Well, so here's, here's a couple of thoughts. So if you look at research on chronobiology, so how our body's hormones kind of fluctuate throughout the day, I always say, if you're going to eat carbs, especially like a piece of fruit and, and a mango tends to be like a more like nutrient dense fruit and it's a tropical fruit, have it with your lunch, maybe, you know, flip when you're having, because you're more insulin sensitive during the day than you are at night. So if you're having like a big carb load at night, yeah, I would say. If you're hungry, I mean, obviously if you're hungry in the evening, eat, like don't not eat, but maybe have like some MCT oil, like something that maybe have two tablespoons of that and, and see how you do, or coconut oil, whatever your preference is. I might start there. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much, Cynthia. Of course. It's, I was really looking forward to our conversation. This is so great. You know, I, you have connected with so many awesome people and you're doing so well and I just, I love what you're doing and I love your continued commitment to growth and serving people. 
And thank you so much for coming on. I really absolutely, absolutely. And, and maybe one of these days, our, our paths will cross. We'll both be in the same city at the same time. We will be speaking on stage together at some point. That's I, right. We're going to manifest that. Absolutely. All right. So your book, Fasting Transformation for Women to Lose Stubborn Weight, Improve Hormonal Health and Slow Aging, the IFF 45-Day Plan, and your podcast, Everyday Wellness. Is there anything else that you're working on right now that we can get everybody excited about or? Oh, I mean, there's, yeah, I would say the only other thing I would say is I'm now the co-host of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast of Melanie Avalon, which really has this amazing following of men and women. So if you haven't checked that out, that's a lot of fun as well. We address listeners' questions and we try to keep the chit-chat to a minimum. Melanie is a really amazing young woman and I'm really excited to be, you know, doing a podcast, but doing it differently than before. Yeah, that's exciting. And yeah. your TED Talk now has 11 million views. No big deal, huh? <laughs> no, it's awesome. It's, no, it's uh, it's it's kind of it's kind of bizarre. Like I'll be honest with you, when I was telling you about that, the slides I was prepping. Normally, when I do slides, I don't talk about the journey, but that was part of that journey that I wanted to share with this group. And I was like, the talk I did to show my kids I was okay. That was the intent that I sought when I stepped on that stage, and I had no idea what would happen. It's really cool, though. Amazing. Well, make sure everybody check that out and all information's in the show notes below. Cynthia, thank you so much. Thanks again. This is awesome. Thanks everybody. What a powerful episode. So many good takeaways there. You know, takeaway for me was trauma. Again, hearing more people talk about it makes me happy because this has been part of my journey and part of what I like to educate all of you Two is to look at that. What does that look like for you? How are you showing up, if you're showing up in your life? Is that trauma response? Really, the root of everything is trauma. And we discussed her conversation a little bit with Gabby Bernstein in her book and talking about trauma and how sometimes trauma isn't just this big thing. Sometimes it's the little thing. You need to develop these, these habits that you, you use to take yourself out of an uncomfortable moment and ends up becoming this pattern and this addiction. And yeah, so powerful because the more I hear someone else bring it up and talk about trauma and these kind of things, the more I'm like, yes, yes, this, this is the message that we need to get out to people. Right. And another key takeaway for me with this, I'm curious to hear what you guys thought was the ability to set boundaries and to be, uh, to not be such a people pleaser. And this is a key area that I personally resonate with, with this episode with Cynthia is that I tend to do that. And it's, it's really a, a form of self-love and self-respect if you could set those boundaries and not be a people pleaser. So powerful episode. Also a refresh on intermittent fasting protocol who it's for. And if you are women out there, which I know there's a lot of women listeners out there. Um, I purposely wanted to talk about this towards the end because, um, or just in general, because I know that a lot of people ask me about different health advice and I want to bring Cynthia on and ask her about this because she is an expert in intermittent fasting. So go grab her book, um, the intermittent fasting transformation. It has the IF 45 plan in it for you to, you know, help change your life. And this is designed for women to lose stubborn weight improve hormonal health, and slow aging. This book is for you if that's what you're looking for. Also, Everyday Wellness, go check out 
podcast, go follow it. She's got such amazing guests on there and you can literally find any topic and she finds the experts that know how to break it down so that you can understand actually make change in your life. All right, everybody. I love you all. I appreciate you. Subscribe to the podcast, all that good stuff. If you get value from this, share this with somebody who needs it or leave us a review on Apple. It's greatly appreciated. All right. Much love. We'll catch you next time.